Consensus Network. Previously, we always had to have human beings to generate and manipulate energy, to transform energy into, into use cases. Where now with Bitcoin, we simply actually have an incentive to create energy purely for energy's sake. And I think this creates a whole raft of really interesting avenues in terms of what we can do with it, how we can get past scarcity in, in our economies. Bitcoin gives us this unlimited demand, this unlimited incentive. As, as a Bitcoin miner, if you can promise me energy at the cheapest price, I will buy all the energy. Why? Because I want to lock it up inside a digital store of value. I want to lock the, the energy value away for later. Welcome back to the Freedom Footprint Show, a Bitcoin philosophy show with Knut Svanholm and me, Luke the Pseudofin. Today we're joined by Dan Leslie, Business Development Manager at HashX Mining. In today's episode, we'll try to shed some light on the world of Bitcoin mining in a deep dive that is both technical and philosophical. Beyond mining, we'll discuss human cooperation, positivity and toxicity in the Bitcoin community, the mysticism of proof of work, the relationship between Bitcoin and energy, and much more. But before we dive in, we'd like to quickly remind you that the best way to support the show is to stream us some sats or send us a boost using a value-for-value podcasting app such as Fountain. If you're listening to the show as a podcast, check out Fountain if you haven't already. You can earn sats by listening to podcasts such as this show, and you can support your favorite shows through value-for-value. If you're watching on YouTube, don't forget to like, subscribe to the channel, and turn on notifications so you never miss an episode. And finally, we want to thank today's sponsors, Wasabi Wallet, Orange Pill App, and BitcoinBook.shop. All their information is in the description, and we'll be talking a little bit more about them later. And now, without further ado, here is Dan Leslie on The Freedom Footprint Show. Dan, welcome to The Freedom Footprint Show. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on. What a privilege. It's nice to have your hair done. We, we met briefly in, uh, or not so briefly, we met in Sydney. <laughs> and that's exactly, what. yeah. Yes, and we but, had some really deep, nice uh, philosophical Bitcoin conversations. And now that's why I wanted you on the show, basically. It was, you, it was kind of, it was kind of one of those ones, wasn't it? We started going down this rabbit hole and we started in like a group conversation that it's almost like the more down, the philosophical rabbit hole we were getting. Yes. We're just like losing people left, right, center before. It's exactly. Just so it's, it's just the two of us. What are those mongoloids doing? Like that's we usually are... how, how it ends. I remember well, having a similar conversation with Max Hillebrand on Madeira and uh, Andre Loja, the, the guy behind the Free Madeira organization. He came up to us and mm-hmm. like, oh, hey guys, what are you chatting about? So we're like, oh, uh, hopeless argumentation ethics. And he's like, oh, <laughs> and then just walk soon. Not again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll hold my I'll hold my hands up in my philosophical ignorance. I don't even know what that is. So. No, but, but you I'm, get the gist of it, I guess. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. you could you could get super deep. But no, it was it was one of those conversations. I think I walked away, and I think maybe you felt the same. And why we ended up here was I was just like, gosh, it's been such a long time since I've had such an elucidating conversation, like talking about things that that really matter. And obviously, 
I've gone on a bit of a journey, explored your content in the last few weeks um, oh, yeah. since we each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey, look, I, I like I like my research. I suppose I should start what I do with a day job, and then we can throw. Yeah, throw could you, could you give us the the T L D R or or maybe the 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 D L the D <laughs> just the R yeah yes the R of uh, of who you are R like? you know why pirates are called pirates what? they just R yes all right yeah give us the R R yeah no so um hi I'm uh, I'm Dan Leslie uh, I live in the beautiful sunny Brisbane however I'm a bit of a bit of a mongrel of the world I was born in New Zealand brought up in the UK. Um, and then moved to Australia. So, you know, finally, finally saw the sunshine and rainbows, only to discover the let's call it the statist paradise that it was lost in this side of the world. Uh, so my my day job basically getting people into Bitcoin mining. So I work for um, a fantastic company called Hashex here in Australia. Um, they're business development manager. So we do everything from you know getting a single guy um, who wants to mine with you know some of his solar energy and just wants to buy one mining rig through to um you know right now we're completing a project for five megawatts down in south australia which is going to be one of the larger farms on this oh. side of the world so yeah so we literally do the entire range i mean obviously it's grown from a you know grassroots of the directors having some connections overseas and being able to bring in the goods and then it's grown from there and yeah look you wouldn't get into this industry if you weren't a Bitcoiner. If we're very much on the the belief that proof, and for me personally, proof of work is the only value um, that you can genuinely create. Uh, we could have a good debate about proof of stake as well. <laughs> ah, let's skip yeah. that. Yeah, exactly. It's a bit of a boring conversation after a while. <laughs> I don't <laughs> think there's a debate in this room about that. No, 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 no. Really, is it? No. no. Um, but but I do I do I do still find I think. Proof of work, or let's say the mining side, does seem to be quite mysterious, even to a lot of Bitcoiners. It, it was fascinating, even after talking to people who, let's say, I would assume are very, very far down the orange pill rabbit hole, um, hadn't really yet made that real world connection between this is what a miner looks like. Yeah. It really uses energy and you have to keep it going. Otherwise, yeah. Bitcoin dies. The, the most fascinating part of that is uh, that people miss, I think, is the connection to time and how, how, yes. uh, the, how the 2016 blocks, uh, you know, relate to the 10 minutes and vice versa. I, I think that's just beautiful. And most people have no clue what I'm talking about when I talk about that. But let's get into that a bit later. I, I'm yeah, cu curi curious about these five megawatts because that's quite a lot of power. Is that solar or wh what is that? Where, where, where do the megawatts come from? Yeah. So, uh, look, it's a really good news story. Um, the, the ESG crowd will be very proud of us. So we have some solar projects in Australia. We have a lot of them and many of them end up going underwater um, quite quickly because they don't design them with really good economic use cases. So I didn't know solar panels worked underwater. <laughs> well, uh, interestingly, if they uh, stay financially underwater for too long, they don't work either because the grid operator will turn them on. <laughs> so we've basically come along and um, through some connections, basically been invited to move into um, some of these solar projects. We do a good deed by basically agreeing to buy 100% of all the power they can produce. And they do the good deed for us in letting us use their grid connection to draw power back in. Um, from the grid when they can't provide it to us. 
So it's a real win-win situation. And the other side of the the coin is we get to then supply the grid with certain, you know, certain services. So sometimes we might drop a load to help stabilize the grid for a few minutes. Bitcoin miners don't turning off, don't mind turning off for five minutes, especially if they're gonna, you know, we get a big healthy credit against our power bill. So it really is a it's it's a cool project. And ultimately it saves a lot of these projects from basically being red herrings and kind of being a bit of a sore thumb on the on the environment and and on the landscape down there. Nice. Uh, I mean, this uh, reminds me of one of my proudest early moments in uh, in Bitcoin when, when I wrote still wrote articles before the first book had co- come out, and I wrote an oh, article yeah. about green energy and Bitcoin, talking about this thing that is actually coming to life right now, and it's so so fun exactly. to see. Like it's playing out exactly how we predicted. And not only me, but a, a bunch of Bitcoiners were thinking about these things back then. And I got a retweet from Saifedi Namus, who said, uh, I was about to write something about this, but just one of us already written what I would have written. And then I, <laughs> well, that's high that price. was a golden <laughs> moment. And uh, I, I have one of those things that made me keep on writing. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. yeah, yeah. It, it exactly. And I think, look, um, I mean, I would say in general around the, let's say the, the Bitcoin space, I'm pretty new just in terms of connecting with people. I've done a lot of the groundwork on my own. You know, I got into Bitcoining by being a gamer and I was gaming tonight. That's why I'm often up, you know, late night, I do a mix of work, play some games, mined Bitcoin on my graphics card back in the day when you could still mine it on graphics cards and, and make not more than, you know, one sat per hour. And so realistically, it's kind of been the last couple of years that I've really started to network with people just here in Australia and meet things. But one thing I've discovered that you say is that Bitcoiners are so encouraging, very, very encouraging, uplifting, and very positive people. And it's it's crazy what happens when, you know, you get a little bit of encouragement. You get retweeted by someone who just wants to see you win. And how those little wins then add up. And they keep they keep the process going. The, 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 it's like the universe's sign that you're doing the right thing. Encouragement is fundamentally underrated. Here we here we go down the down the philosophical. Um, yeah, but uh, I, I love it. I mean, that's absolutely true. I mean, the uh, Bitcoiners encourage one another all the time. Sometimes they disencourage one another too. But but that's just a healthy criticism most of the time. Well, and, yeah, and, I would. Uh, I'd, I'd love to. I'd love to have a discussion about open up a discussion about that. Um, you know, later on about like you know the place for toxicity. Yeah, is, is, is it needed? Is, is it not needed? Yeah. Yes. So, yeah. Correct. Com- coming from Australia, I guess you have a higher bar when it comes to toxicity. Like <laughs> you're sort of used to it. My my cousin, oh, who is uh, who I visited down in Sydney, uh, mm-hmm. told me that there are three levels of toxicity in the animals in Australia and it's deadly, deathly and lethal. And it's yes. the lethal ones that are really, really bad that you should really look out for. So I guess yeah. you're you're sort of used to toxicity. Or you used to be used to toxicity before it turned into a status shithole. But uh yeah. That's and that's that's unfortunate. Um I remember it was pretty early on. Like, so you know, growing up in the UK, I still think um let's say like Nisha said, I seem to have been possessed of the European spirit in some capacity. So I still find myself thinking and feeling like a Brit or at least like a like a European, you know, kind of from a an intellectual perspective. And I remember my first having coming kind of, you know, you're meeting people, you've just arrived in the country back in, in twenty fifteen when I first arrived, and one of my friends sitting there complaining about something, and then 
I know now he hates the government, couldn't stand them, all this kind of stuff. But then his immediate response was like, man, the government really has to stop that. The government really has to get involved. You know, they really have to make a law about that. And it, it put this thing, this, it kind of alerted me that there is something almost here in Australia that people think the government is this problem solving tool. You know, whenever we identify problems, let's kind of aim a government at it. And hopefully it will make our lives, you know, more comfortable. We can go back to surfing. It's odd. It, it's, it doesn't take much to, to bring it out of the surface and from under the surface. No, no. And then you'll turn to surfing and the problem solving shark will do the same thing to you as the government did on land. <laughs> yeah. There, there's a, there's a vi- viral video, I think, going around recently of a yeah, shark coming up onto a canoe and almost taking a guy's leg off his. Oh, Fairly. that reminds me of a limerick. What was that? A, a man from Isle of Sart, he went for a swim in the dark when his craving complex for the opposite sex completely was cured by a shark. <laughs> oh my gosh. But, <laughs> you're part Irish, right? <laughs> well, my, my parents had a cabin in Ireland for a short mm. while, but that's, yeah, no other Irish connections that I know of. I'm uh, 116th. Scottish, I think. Oh, great. Yeah, or 132nd. No, There's some great grandfather or grandmother somewhere back. Oh, look, with a, with a good surname like Leslie, I'm, I'm mostly, mostly Scottish in my, in my, in my heritage. With a, oh. So, uh, yeah, I love, love that country very much. Yeah, yeah. Leslie makes me think of rotating speakers for Hammond organs, but that's a totally different discussion. It's called a Leslie cabinet. Yes, that's a bit, right. a bit of a tangent. What what are we going to talk about today, Daniel? I, I feel we're uh, yeah. This this is the danger when you think you're going to have a philosophical uh, discussion, and you, you end up just just uh, with doing poetry. Bullshit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So so look, I I, I was going to say I, I love organic conversation, um, but I also also love to have you know, frame something up for the deep and meaningful. So look, I'm a miner. So we'll, we'll maybe have a discussion on, on this tangent and see, see what this brings out, because I think it would kind yeah. of be interesting. I All right, think- let's, let's lay out proof of work first. So, so what, what are your thoughts on proof of work and what it does? And uh, let's deep dive into this whole time thing and mm. all of that stuff and see where we end up. What's, what's your thoughts on mining? Proof of work is this kind of, it's, it's almost a little bit mystical because it's part, it's obviously the the raw computer code you know it's it's where the where the, the silicon hits the hits the code but at the other side of it it's drawing out something let's say from the physical world and encoding it into something in the digital world and it enables energy's value to become non-time bound so for instance the the value of a watt i'm going to go down the, the rabbit hole a bit here the value of a watt is is only in the instant that the electron can be delivered to whatever you know whatever light bulb computer laptop asic miner that you really want so when i look at proof of work um on the whole of the bitcoin level it 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 is the thing it is the the umbilical cord that makes bitcoin physical as well as digital and i i use this terminology i think when talking to some people in some ways it is a singularity of unifying our real world stuff with the ability to do the things that we can in, in program in the digital world, the functionality that we have in digital space, we can now do that because it's indefinitely connected 
to the real world. You have to put the real world into Bitcoin. Otherwise, you don't get Bitcoin. And so when I think about, let's say, I'm just going to use the negative comparison of the consensus mechanisms, they are trying to solve the very feature that proof of work is there to do. Proof of work isn't there to be efficient. Proof of work isn't there to be... Um, it's there uh, to be costly. Yes, yes, yes. It's, it's there to be the measuring value for how much you value the digital asset on the other side. And so the, when it comes to, when it comes to proof of work, like I, I remember the reading the white paper for the first time, you know, many years ago and thinking about it. And it was almost like, I, I think very, very spatially in, in pictures. And it was almost like I could see the CPUs dragging in the, the physical worlds and redistributing it into digital bytes. Like that's kind of how my brain began to think about it. And if you think about it, like, we have in uh, the other side of proof of work, we've introduced an, an, a different incentive structure fundamentally into the human race with proof of work. You know, so hitherto, like, humans have been using energy in all kinds of forms for, for thousands and millions of years. Our whole, our whole evolution is built upon our ability to utilize energy over time, you know, keep us alive in the form of food, keep us warm in the form of fire. And then, you know, as it went on, we got, you know, water wheels and, and horses. And then we got steam engines and locomotives. And finally, we're at this, this almost the most perfect energy source, which is, which is electricity, which is we can point the very electrons themselves, the thing we want to move. So it was like the ultimate control of, of energy in the form of electricity. Um, maybe, you know, we could say maybe there's a step beyond that where we could manipulate Ele electronics where we can start building logic circuits and stuff. So we, we e e th that's what enables the digital realm to exist at all. Exactly. The, the, the presence or the non-presence of an electron on, on the, on the side of a transistor switch. That, that's, that's all, all data is. It's, it's energy being held up for a few seconds or a few nanoseconds. And, and suddenly all of this is possible. So when I think about that is previously, we always had to have human beings as the, as the draw process to generate and create and manipulate energy. Well, you'd, we don't create it, but to transform energy into, into use cases. So we had, we had, let's say, a necessity of work to keep us alive, to keep us, you know, functioning at the human race. Where now with Bitcoin, actually, we, we simply actually have an incentive to create energy purely for energy's sake. And I think this creates a whole raft of really interesting avenues in terms of Number one, what we can do with it, how we can get past scarcity in, in our economies. A lot of the ideas that, you know, futurists have been thinking about, philosophers have been thinking about in terms of betterment of the world all comes by having an incentive to make energy better, make more of it and make it cheaper. And now Bitcoin gives us this unlimited demand, this unlimited incentive. As, as a Bitcoin miner, if you can promise me energy at the cheapest price, in the you know the, the 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 most useful form, which is a form that's twenty four hours a day, seven days a week. You can always you can always turn a switch off if you don't need it. But it's sometimes unlike a solar panel, it's really hard to make a solar panel work right now when it's dark outside. So if you can give me twenty four seven power and make it as cheap as possible, I will buy all the energy. I, I, I why? Because I want to lock it up inside a digital store of value. I want to lock. The, the the energy value away for later when you, you need to come and get the value. 
You you want so, to com- convert the energy into a specific piece of the world's only digital pie. Exactly. And so by creating this incentive structure, it's literally we we've now given the human race, it's almost like a great market signal. Go and make as much useful energy in the form of electricity as we possibly can. And and that kind of thing excites me. I, rem- I remember when I was a kid, you know, learning about relativity. Um, and I'm sure you know this, but relativity works in both directions. So obviously we understand a nuclear, you know, um, explosion is E equals MC squared. The energy we got out of the explosion was from the subatomic particles that we obliterated and turned into the energy value. But you can do it the other way. Mass can be created through the condensation of energy. This, yes. this is known to happen. This happens inside our sun. This is why the sun produces elements, because inside the center of the star, the gravity is so intense, energy can't escape it, and so it condenses into matter. So stars are matter generators fundamentally. In fact, you know, yeah, they we convert energy into matter. That's that's what they do, and that matter then explodes out into the universe and eventually becomes us, because we are star stuff. The molecules were made up of once yes. that were once in the center of a star. We um, are we are yeah. we are stardust fundamentally, and so it's like putting back it on the other side. Is now with now with Bitcoin, we actually because. The, the problem, the, the problem of the human the human being fundamentally is that we're incentive driven, but it's also a feature, not a bug. If we're given the right incentives, we can make. In general, on average, there's always outliers and ways that there's always assholes. Don't worry. Yeah, I was about to ask, problematic according to whom? <laughs> because it's all subjective, right? Exactly. But but fundamentally, if we provide the human being with the right incentive structure, it moves ma- you know, masses of people in the same direction. So for instance, why has capitalism been a broadly successful economic system compared to, compared to communism or in, compared to mercantilism or many of the other you know, economic systems? Well, fundamentally, it liberates human incentives. You read the book to figure out more. Oh, uh, yeah. So, and it's, it's, it's not, for, and it's, of course, you know, I, I take a rationalist, but it may be that there is a magical economic system out there that's better than, better than capitalism. But capitalism so far is the only one that's hijacked the human's capacity for incentives. And it's been able to put those incentives to productive work. So the produce of everything. So now, now we have this incentive out there for, for human beings to say, Hey, go and generate electricity. Go and get as much of it from everywhere that you can. And you have a way of being able to lock that up. Then it kind of sounds magical. It's quite interesting talking to, to let's say, grid engineers, you know, people who are kind of old, uh, kind of stuck in their ways. There's very few of them around now. They're very precious. We need to keep them alive as long as they can. The whole idea that you could generate value in a remote place just by plugging some computers in is so far outside of their paradigm that they th- they think you're to- like you're talking about you know snake oil. They have to be shown. You know this is a Bitcoin I miner. I I did this exact thing on Madeira. We had a meeting with the energy company there, the only uh, energy company on the island, and it was literally like trying to explain Boston Dynamics to Neanderthals. No offense to the energy company guys, but just just to illustrate how far far away. From one another, we were in 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 our modes thinking about about this because it's so it's such a hard pill to swallow because this has never been possible before. 
Exactly. I'll add to this a, a bit of a TLDR about Bitcoin mining and do my best like for our listeners who don't know what this is all about, really. So, so this is my attempt at explaining what Bitcoin mining is. I'll so, score you out of 10. Yeah, yeah. And uh, please free to, to interrupt me whenever, whenever sure. I'm wrong or any, for any other reason. So a Bitcoin mining is all about guessing a number. The thing is that there's something called the difficulty adjustment algorithm that decides how many zeros a very long number needs to start with in order for the miner to find a Bitcoin block. And a Bitcoin block is nothing but a big Excel sheet of transactions. Sometimes there's some uh, other information attached to the transaction, like a note or some other bullshit JPEG or something. But that's beside the point. (laughs) What they actually do is miners take the transactions they want from the mempool, because usually the mempool is full uh, nowadays, and there are more transactions than there is room for in the block. So they have to choose which transactions to include. And usually they choose the ones with the highest fee attached to them because the fee goes to the miner. And the miner also gets newly minted Bitcoin as a reward. Uh, The first four years, it was 50 Bitcoin. Then it was 25 the following four years, then 12 and a half. And right now we're in the fourth epoch where there's 6.25. Exactly. And about 12% in on average, I think, is fees. So it's 6.25 plus 12% on top of that in, in terms of fees on average every block. And what they do then is that they run this Excel sheet plus a number called a nonce, which is just a random number through something called a hashing algorithm. And what comes out the other side is a number which you can easily reverse to check if, if it actually matches the Excel sheet or not. Excel sheet is said metaphorically here and not literally, but, but still. So you get this number. And if it starts with this specific amount of zeros, the hash number, including the nonce and all the transactions, you are the miner that gets the reward. And everyone else in the network sees that, oh, someone found the correct hash and therefore they are entitled to this reward. And then the miner is rewarded by the network. So the way I see that is like what we read in newspapers is that miners solve this really, really hard mathematical problem and then they create the Bitcoins. This is not true. They do not Absolutely solve not. They, they do not solve any, they solve a slightly harder than high school math problem, but only slightly. All they do is basically add numbers together. This number yeah. time, times that number. It's, it's not very much harder than that, according to a specific equation. And then they just yeah. do that formula over and over again to guess a number. So all they're doing is guessing a number. And the Bitcoins are not mined, they're issued. Uh, and the issuance rate, the, the difficulty adjustment is done every 2016 blocks. So on average, every two weeks in order to make the block interval between blocks around 10 minutes. So that Bitcoin has a fixed issuance schedule. And this is, this is the important part. That is, regardless of how much energy is put into Bitcoin mining, this does not change over time because it adjusts every 2016 blocks. So what that does is that it creates its internal clock. And this is absolutely crucial for Bitcoin survival because we need a, a decentralized clock, an internal clock in the network in order for, to, to uh, remove another attack vector. 
because otherwise we would have to rely on a centralized time stamping server, which would be an attack vector in itself. Anyone could check yeah. that and then double spend the coins. So the system wouldn't work if we didn't have decentralized time. And in my in my mind, this is the absolutely the most crucial part of it. The difficulty, the, the difficulty adjustment. Yeah. And this is why we can't just have proof of stake. Mm. This is one of the reasons we can't have proof of stake or proof of anything else but energy expenditure. Because mm. it is not the energy expenditure itself. It's the cost to the miners that secures mm. the network. The number of hashes doesn't matter. It matters. Yeah. Number of hashes matters for the timekeeping, but not for the costliness to the miners. The, Correct. The, the costliness could have been solved in another way if we had another way of solving the time thing. And the only reason Bitcoin needs to be decentralized at all is so that we can do this without having to trust any third party. Because time has history has shown that if we put trust in a third party when it comes to money printing, the humans are not capable to resist the urge to press the copy button. Like they well, will talk, always. Talking, print. talking <laughs> about incentives, isn't it? Yeah, it yeah. It's, it's uh, some of maybe, you know, maybe the initial central bankers genuinely may have had very, very good intentions about I don't how think to control so. the, the money. Initial yeah. bankers, I would say, but mm. not the initial central bankers. Okay, yeah, <laughs> they are the most. They are the most rotten to the yeah. soul, obviously. No, but what? But I think, and I think, I think you you may be the most. Let's call let's call him the most moral central banker, the most honest that a central banker can be. Yeah, it's it's partly in the process. Like maybe you are the most self controlled human being internally and externally, but you've created for yourself a power structure and an incentive structure, and the problem of that is that. There will be people who are not you. There will be people you will one day die. There will be others who will take your power from you. And the, we can't ever trust anyone else to do the same as you will. In fact, this is, you know, the, what's the, the great problem with statism in and of itself is that we have created a, a, a power structure, yeah. maybe by very, very great men and women of history, you know, and there's the, there's the good king. Thesis. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. And exactly. Your, it and the problem always, is... Yeah, it rewards psychopaths. It's, this, it's the great sword of Damocles. You know, you've created for yourself the ability to destroy in order to defend. Yeah. But the problem is, is that someone who isn't you will pick up the sword and then destroy everything. Yes. And, and so Bitcoin solves that through decentralization. We don't yeah. have to trust anyone. No. And so we don't have to uh, trust anyone to do yeah. the right thing. So decentralization is an unfortunate means to a greater end. And the greater end is absolutely fixed supply money, like the soundest money you can think of. That that is that is the end. Decentralization is an unfortunate means. It would be better if we could solve it some other way because it wouldn't be as costly. But now we can't, so we have to make it as costly as possible. Uh, unforgeable costliness and easy oh. to verify. And nothing beats Bitcoin on those two metrics. It's extremely exactly. costly to produce and at the same time extremely easy to check the validity of. Oh, no, I just, because okay. I wanted to, I wanted yeah. to um, jump, jump in on the, um, on the difficulty adjustment. Absolutely. Um, to to some to like someone might question why is the difficulty uh, adjustment actually needed in Bitcoin? How does that relate to time? So the the question that Bitcoin is asking the miners to guess 
you know, that puts the mathematical you yeah. know question out there, and we're just guessing the number. It, let's say let's say we're going to guess a number between one and ten. You and I. Yeah. Um. So you guess number. I guess number. It might take us five seconds to to guess all ten numbers, and we can guarantee that one of them is the right the right number. I'm thinking of if we guess all ten. However, if 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 Luke jumps in, we get four more people. You grab four more people. I grab four more people, and we all start guessing. It's going to take us a nanosecond. We can yeah. guarantee to solve the answer very very quickly. So what the and it's the same with mining. The more miners that join a network, the faster we can get to the right guess. So if the difficulty was the same as when when the network was first ten, turned on, we would probably discover a block in one second. Well, very, very, very quickly, um, because we can guess all of the necessary answers at that very easy difficulty. Mm-hmm. So the difficulty has to adjust with how much hash rate is on the network over that two-week period to make sure that the block stays in a 10-minute increment so that the right number of average guesses are there to make sure that that block happens like clockwork every 10 minutes. Yes. Um, so that's why it has to get more and less difficult. Over time. Like with all everything that is probabilistic, it, it has a couple of interesting features. Like it's it's always the next stock is always 10 minutes away, regardless yes. of how much time has passed on average. And also, like there could be sometimes the block takes like 40 minutes to 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 appear. And yep. in theory, we might never find the next Bitcoin block. We don't know if Bitcoin stops at that point and has a, a pause for 10 years. However, the more hashing power there is, the less, the less probably, likely that has ever happened. Yeah, yeah, the less likely that is. It's a similar level that there's a, there is a lot, very small likelihood you could brute force a private key. Yeah, but it's the same the same probability of you just reaching your hand up and then picking some dust off off the moon. It's, it's yes, yes, it's, almost it's, impossible. It's neglectable is the word, right? We, Correct. We, we don't yeah. need to take it into account, and therefore Bitcoin works. But Back to the mm. basics of like, because I want to go deep into why, why mining is the way it is, because I think there's so yeah. much confusion about it. And the thing is that since mining is just guessing a number, it's literally just that uh, a very yeah. specific number. Sure. But it's just guessing that num- number over and over again. So a human being could do that by hand. So what I've is solved the- a, I've solved a SHA-256 hash just because I'm nerdy before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I bet you have. I haven't yet, but I should just to prove a point. You shouldn't do it. It's boring. <laughs> yes, it takes a it takes a long time. And when you think about we're, we're talking peta hashes now in the Bitcoin network, as it's ridiculous. It's just, like no, this, well, ex, no exa hashes. Exa so hashes are, a thousand million million or something, right? It's a billion billions. A billion billions per second, uh, which guesses per second. And then what? What did it take you to do one of those? Like. 30 minutes? Oh, just, uh, probably. Yeah. yeah. It certainly wasn't seconds. I got up my Excel and started, you know, created the matrix and yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. all this kind of stuff. Yeah. You mean so, you uh, didn't do it with pen and paper? No. Uh, then it's, no it doesn't I'm not that count. cool. It doesn't not that count. Cool. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> I thought you were talking about pen and paper. Oh, uh, okay. But the thing is, Mm-hmm. The point I'm trying to get at here is something mm-hmm. I, I talked about in Australia as well. That the the uh, the ASIC is nothing but a tool to help us do the calculation. Yeah. So it's it's the equivalent of the uh, the the monkey that figures out that it can to take a grass straw into the termite uh, mound and get more termites per second out. 
we've supercharged the monkey and given him steroids. Exactly. Probably crack so cocaine as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so uh, the ASIC miner is just a very, very specific tool. It does one thing yeah. and one thing only. It guesses a number. So it's a tool for guessing a number. All right. So 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 who is the miner? The ASIC or the guy owning and deciding to run the ASIC? This is just a guy using a tool. Like this is a guy. The guy is guessing the number, not the computer. The computer can't deliberately do anything. It's just a tool. So therefore, a miner is a person that decides to do this. Now, why does the miner decide to do this? The miner decides to do this because he thinks, in, at least in the long run, for some time horizon, within some time horizon, the bitcoins he can get from guessing the number will be more valuable than the cost of the electricity sacrificed to guess the numbers. That's the only reason the Bitcoin mines. There's an economics incentive to do so. And everything in Bitcoin is set up in such a way that it's cheaper to follow the rules than to try to cheat them. So, the, so, and still you can make money off of mining. So this yeah. is why people do this. And this is what's so amazing about it. And the only, the only reason that they believe that the miners that are the people running the ASICs believe that their bitcoins will be val more valuable in the future is that people are willing to pay money for them or to provide goods and services for them is that people actually use them and thereby yes. increase their purchasing powers. And the more people that use them, and by the way, using includes, you know, delayed gratification and hodling them for an indefinite amount of time. So hodling, hodling is a use. Yes. Hodling is a use case where you decrease the number of Bitcoins that are actually on the markets, whereby those go up in value because of the loss of supply and demand. And yeah, yeah. the whole system is such a beautiful thing. And this, I, I'm struggling to find the correct word for it. People say that Bitcoin uses energy, which is not exactly correct. It's not exactly correct that it wastes energy either. But no, it, it certainly doesn't, doesn't waste. See, uh, it's loaded <laughs> language that gets yeah. thrown around. Yeah. The, the closest metaphor that I like is uh, that it sacrifices energy in order to get the B because every guess that isn't the correct guess of the number. It's literally just wasted and then the 10 minutes reset. Like we're back <laughs> to square one. So in a yep. way, if you look at it from there, from, from the perspective of this specific hash, that hash is wasted. But if you look at it from a probabilistic, uh, you know, of the whole, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. a more holistic view, it's not sacrificed nor wasted. It's just converted into this piece of the digital pie. Well, I think, look, I think, I think you, I think maybe, maybe the, like the best word I can describe it is, is it, it encodes the energy into capital. It, it is quite literally doing that. The winner of the, the block gets to do the maths to encode that block into the chain, creating a blockchain, but the whole itself is needed for the security. So all of those wasted guesses, you know, they, those, those, those guesses that weren't right. Sacrifice. Sacrifice, they're actually incredibly important to the security of the network. I always randomly, I describe it in, in, in layman's so, terms to, pe to people. Just a, a quick one. Oh, sorry. They're, they're mm. important because they're costly, right? There's a cost yes. attached to them. Exactly. Uh, so what, what Bitcoin is doing is Bitcoin is reverse hacking itself to keep itself secure. 
So you can try and hack the Bitcoin network. There's only one way to do it, brute force. And guess what? Bitcoin says, ha ha, we can use that for security <laughs> and flips the whole process on its head. I um, love that terminology, reverse hacking itself. Yeah, exactly. Make a note of that, Luke. We're going to use that. <laughs> <laughs> and and so and so so because if you think about if you th look if I'm locking a box, I, a safe safe deposit box, you know, um, my 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 banking app on my phone, they use encryption to keep out someone. So the only way to open that, you know, without using let's say social, you know, social scams or anything like that, is for me to get a whole ton of hash power and guess the right answer to open the box. Bitcoin does the opposite. It says the right answer is out there, guys. Come and hack us. Oh, but guess what? We're going to secure the network using the right answer. So all of your wrong guesses were what we were using to hide the right answer inside. So you're so right. Wasting is definitely the wrong word when it comes to mining. And that's why I love this word encoding, because what we're doing is it, you're so right on the incentive structure. The only reason to become a miner is that you have an implicit belief that the price of Bitcoin will be higher in the future, including the capital required to buy the machine, the energy expenditure to to mine the Bitcoin, the, the you know on larger larger sites, the wages paid to technicians and the um, you know the expertise and security and and all these other kinds of you know problems occur. The only reason to do it is a long term higher expected value built into the fabric of Bitcoin is its economic incentive for higher prices in fiat terms over time. And actually, to be honest. Even in a hyper-Bitcoinized world, there would still be an incentive because we would still be pricing energy and sats. Uh, we would still be pricing silicon and, 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 and ASIC miners in sats. So there has to be some incentive for you to give me more sats in the future, even in a hyper-Bitcoinized world. I'm not interested in mining. Why would I deploy my, my sats out of a hodl bag, lock them into something physical with a whole load of problems and, and things that can go wrong? If you're not going to pay me more sets, and I'm willing to take that that wager, um, well, it could be done with paying you in something else than sets or fiat, like uh, paying you in a great big mansion by the sea or something. You, yeah, so, no, exactly. Yeah. It, it, this exactly. Is, this is the but, future but, but I see happening. Like other things being bartered before we use our Bitcoin stacks to a large extent. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a fascinating idea in itself. That it's like it goes back to the original idea of credit, which it isn't. A, it's not a monetary figure. It's simply I owe you one chicken because I took a couple of vegetables, but the chicken is still an egg at the moment. So come springtime, come and get your chicken. But I can have some vegetables today, you know. Um, and whole whole economies grew up for generations. Now, sure, they weren't maybe as sophisticated and as um, you know ungodly wealthy, but they were very valuable and human beings developed these internal systems of trust in smaller communities over time. Bitcoin, I think, like you say, has taken that, that incentive structure for us to cooperate with each other, for us to exchange value and, and blown it up to, I don't even need to know who you are. I don't oh. need you to wear where you come from, but your Bitcoin is your, is your word. Coin is your bond. Yeah. And after you've been to the Bitcoin space for a while, you, you have experienced to some extent this the power that perfect money unlocks, or damn mm. near perfect money. Ne Bitcoin never mm -hmm. needed to be perfect. It, this is no, a just... Tomer Strawlight uh, quote, I think. It never needed to be perfect. It only needed to be good enough to last forever. I love well, that the, quote. <laughs> it's actually a fantastic quote. And, and I think, but, it, but isn't this the law of nature? There is no such thing as the perfect animal or the perfect predator or... Well, alien. You know, 
like perfect realism realistically is a platonic ideal it it doesn't really exist you know fundamentally. No, perfect according to whom <laughs> to begin well, with it, it's also it, subjective exactly but um but but even then it's it's not accessible in the physical world so just it has to be good enough and it's good enough that really makes the difference and bitcoin is very much good enough and i think why it's creating a different paradigm let's say it's so offensive to power structures i mean it, look if this was a bunch of nerds just playing nerd games the, the last time that i heard my politicians talking about computer games and worried about the all, all the people being scammed on computer games and all this kind of stuff i'm using this as an example I, i've never i've never heard a politician you know maybe in the early 90s there was a bit of a fuss about them it's not considered subversive. It doesn't doesn't attack power bases or attempt to replace what's existing with something better. It's just a game. By the same metric, Bitcoin is just a computer. It's a computer program that has, in some ways, lots of different game components. Mining is one of these game components. But all of a sudden, you can see its value because of how its enemies respond to it. Yeah, it's, it's the, good enough. It's the only computer game that's like that's. It's usually the other way around, that people pour money into computer games that are then online. And this starts online and then spreads out into the material world. So it's in the reverse direction. You use something that is inherent to our network on the internet, which is just people too. Uh, and then that manifests into physical reality in a, in a way that direction, uh, directionally, that has never existed before. Well, this is, you, you know how there's all these, obviously the, the metaverse crowd have all got their, you know, play to earn, you know, is their whole metric. Bitcoin has been play to earn since the very, very beginning. If you play the Bitcoin game, you will earn and you will continue to earn. And especially if you play the mining game, you are literally plugging in something that earns. Otherwise, why do it? And and I don't know, I, I, th I think life, and maybe this is more broadly philosophical point, but I, I think life gets more fun when you think of it as a series of games. It definitely becomes more manageable, and you realize not to take you know the hardness of the the struggle too seriously. But if you can learn to play the game well and you play it long enough, you could have a lot of fun and be successful. The two are not opposed. No, exactly. That, like that's one thing that struck me when I landed in Miami uh, a week ago. Mm -hmm. I went straight from the airport to this Satoshi Rakamoto show at a venue called Kill Your Idol. So I went straight straight up on stage, just gave my luggage away, went straight up on, on stage and ended up playing bass and played Smells Like Teen Spirit with Samson Mao and a couple of other oh, songs with other people. <laughs> and I, uh, the first thing that struck me was like, holy shit, the internet is the best computer game ever invented. Like, yeah. that, that's my, that was my first thought, because this is like the game and you can unlock all of these achievements. And they're actually real achievements in real life. And it's it's so fun. But it's all a game. And back to mining, a, a few other yeah. points I want to clear out for our listeners. is like, go for it. A lot of the big miners are pools, right? So there are people around the world giving their hashing power to a bigger mining pool that then tries to find the block. So we add all, think, we're adding all our guesses together. Exactly. So we're getting a bigger pool of guesses, more success. Yes. And this has been described as a a threat vector to Bitcoin, because then those who give their hashing power away have to follow whatever rules that miner who decides over what actually goes into the block uh, sets for them. But this is not true, because it's entirely voluntary to, to, to join the pool and to leave the pool at any point in time. So, mm -hmm. so the individual miners decide anyway. And more than that, the individual node runners 
whoever runs a Bitcoin node at home sets whatever rules he wants Bitcoin to have. And when using Bitcoin, when actually using, for lack of a better word, token, that's when you set the rules for what you can, what is acceptable to you as a Bitcoin yes. user. And the miners are slaves to that. So whoever uses Bitcoin is the master. And yes. the funny thing about this is that everyone's a Bitcoiner in that sense, because every Bitcoiner interacts with all the normies all the time. So, so whatever decisions the normies make that surround the Bitcoiner goes into whatever incentives that Bitcoiner has when running the node. So everyone on Earth creates the Bitcoins. <laughs> and some have just not realized that yet. But when Greenpeace, for instance, comes along and tells everyone to change the code and we say, oh, yeah, go ahead, change the code. Good luck with that. Uh, what they don't Submit realize is... VIP. It's death. That very tweet is creating Bitcoins to some extent because it interacts with other Bitcoiners and and they fuel their incentives. And it's so fun how, how everything's connected like that. There's no such thing as a circular economy. Everything's connected. And when you start seeing it like that and everything is a human being, this is just an agreement between human beings on a fixed set of rules, as I always say. And it can only get better as, as long as... As long as we fight for it, because we need to individually fight for it. There's no collective, there's no great, big, great leader to look up to who's going to fix it for us. We have to fix it for ourselves. Yeah. And that's right. Look, Bitcoin is essentially just a communication mechanism more than anything else. It's a clean and clear, uncorrupted communication mechanism. We can transmit value. We can transmit incentives. We can connect structures of, you know, either you know, economics, but even more than that, um, love, care, compassion, you know, these are, these can all be communicated over Bitcoin. It's just simply a, a tool with which to do that fundamentally. And I, I like the way you often bring this out. We are Bitcoin, you know, you it's, it's inside you. It doesn't exist without you deciding to interact with it. No, and it's within us. And in that sense, it functions like cells in our bodies communicating. Mm. Bitcoin is the cardiovascular system of us as a collective. It, it, it functions the same way. It sends information between each cell, each human being being a cell in this larger organism that is the global free market. And ultimately, that really has been how any human progression has happened throughout all of history. It's been when there is a, a clean signal between, you know, voluntary parties, when no one is forced into something and people cooperate. And where people cooperate, I mean, um, you know, I, I think I explained to you, I come from a, a Christian background. So there's this, there's this story in the Bible, the Tower of Babel, which is probably well known, which is the, uh, the group of people who are building this mighty tower. So it says the, the tower was going to reach heaven and God speaking in the, in the first person says, look at these people, they're fully united and they speak the same language. Nothing will be impossible for them. And if you have a look all throughout history, it, it, you know, the story ends with God coming down and apparently creating languages and scattering these people to the othermost parts of the earth so that, you know, they can't build a tower to reach heaven. Again, more interesting, but, but it's fascinating that that narrative of noticing that unification, cooperation, and speaking the same language, the, the, the same communication method with each other, that's what builds the potential to reach heaven. That's what builds better lives. That's what builds economies, societies. Um, that's what builds anything that works and anything that functions here. And 
I think one of the biggest problems we're finding in this modern world is that we have such a cluttered and such a corrupted communication vessel between human beings. Like, why is there so much policing of language? Because if I say one thing wrong, you're going to take the wrong idea and go and tell that. And all of a sudden there's a, a huge uproar on, on the bird app and, um, you know, people are getting canceled and losing jobs. Our monetary system fundamentally as a signal, as a market signaling system that, you know, 12 men in a room in New York City decide to make one decision and it factors the, the fortunes of millions and billions of people. That is a corrupted communication system in terms of value. Absolutely. And this is one of the things that Bitcoin truly illuminated for, for me and for many others, that yeah. money is, is nothing but a communications tool. It's nothing but the language. Yeah. And we need that language to be damn near perfect in order to, to function properly. And yes. before Bitcoin, there was, it wasn't even close. <laughs> and for all ages, we've never had perfect communication across borders and across even from one city to another. As long as you have inflation in the system, everyone is being censored to a certain extent. You can't have free speech without free, uh, without absolute property rights and free markets. Like they are completely incompatible. The free speech is something that is only needed when, when property rights have been, have been infringed on already. <laughs> like, yeah. It's, so, it's the, it's the self-correcting mechanism, isn't it? To, to, to property rights. And I, so just to jump in on property rights, what, what's so interesting about property rights is that like in the traditional lab, you know, land labor capital, true to form, you can actually own someone's labor. You can go to work and be paid a wage. So you do own the time you've freely exchanged your time for, for some kind of, some kind of monetary return. For security um, also. For, yeah, for having a more stable future in form of a steady for all kinds of good reasons. You know, there are a lot of good reasons to have a job. But fundamentally, these can all be taken away in the real world. For instance, a certain Vladimir is trying to take away the, the, the land aspect of a sovereign country. The, you know, the police can, can do things. If you think you own your house, try stop paying your property taxes and you'll see how much you really own. You know, people can can create armies and take them away. And, you know, human beings have been doing this and organizing to take stuff, take property rights away from each other for generations. In the digital space, in 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 the Bitcoin world, you don't have that problem. The only thing that can get your Bitcoin is you. The, the 12 words in your head, you can memorize them. You might want to store them somewhere physical, but you don't have to, which means that it's, it's as difficult for me to steal your Bitcoin as, a, as it is for you to put thoughts in my head. Exactly. The CIA has been trying for mind control for years. Yes. And so, and so this, this whole kind of magic almost is that the, we can secure property rights against force. You can have yeah, value. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely amazing mm. because you can move. The, the ability to like, say I, I live in Spain now, say I own 20, pro, uh, 20 properties here, uh, 20 houses here. Uh, instead mm -hmm. of owning 20 houses here, I could just choose to own one house. I don't own 20 yeah. <laughs> houses here. No, I was like, okay, great. So, but I could sell some more books. If I did, I could, yeah, I have to sell a ton of books for that. But if, He's doing uh, his best. Don't make fun. <laughs> the thing is, I could, I'm all for it. I could sell them all put them into my head and move to another country and buy 20 houses there. Yes. And like people, people don't get that they like, sure, 
the thing is though, we, we can't just, we Bitcoiners can't really, it's not really a sustainable plan that we all move to El Salvador <laughs> and fuck the rest no. of the world. Like we need to take Agreed. this fight in every country on every continent. Uh, the, the fight for freedom is an ongoing battle in every country at all times. And if you think you have a hard time, if you think like there's no, there's no use because the government will do X or Y, that was always the case in every country. There and is, you just realized it. You just realized that you're living in a tough time. Guess what? Everyone did always. And we have a better shot at this than the people who were forced to, to land in Normandy and, and, and shoot each other. Like still. It could have been a lot worse. We were better off than the people who were born in, in the gulags, like <laughs> in the literal ones. So yes. but still, we should take this fight and we should take it everywhere. And we should take it by, not by force, but by good arguments. And that's like absolutely crucial. And make fun of these clowns that keep on thinking that their opinions matter. Politicians mm. who say that if you elect me, I will make Bitcoin legal. No, Bitcoin is not democracy money, it's anarchy money. It's not about you. You cannot do anything about this. You're cute, but we don't really care about your opinion. In fact, yeah. you being against Bitcoin is even better to a certain extent <laughs> because that will wake people up earlier. Like this, yeah. is, this is the thing. We have a better system now. We don't need you anymore. It's fascinating. Let's, let's go down, explore this rabbit hole a little bit because when is you know, force needed, you know, is there, is there ever a case to be made, let's say for a Bitcoin army? I mean, in some ways we're part of it, but more than just a metaphorical, you know, Twitter, Twitter crowd, you know, would there ever be a case where it would be worth Bitcoiners time and Satoshis to buy guns and missiles? Well, we, one could envision this sort of citadel type of future where the, the bigger a country or a nation state gets or a government gets, uh, the, the more mm. problematic it becomes. And this has been true for all of history. Like the EU is very problematic now. And so is the CCP. Yeah. And preceding that, the Soviet Union was absolutely horrible, basically a giant torture chamber for 70 years uh, and a giant prison for absolutely yes. everyone in it. Including even the elites who, who were deprived if, of all the things they could have had if they had just been nicer to one another. So if you don't, if you have to stop people leaving your country for there still to be people in your country, you're doing countrying wrong. Yeah, exactly. And I, I, there's a strong argument to be made for that every country is doing countrying wrong. <laughs> because well, that's like, true. There's a saying like, if, if goods and services don't cross borders, soldiers do. And there's a lot yes. of truth to that. So what we want is like a minimalistic, like the states to be as small and as self-sovereign as possible. So city-states uh, is a very, very good starting point because like we, we probably can't get smaller than the family. Like, and we wouldn't yeah, want to yeah. because we wouldn't want to. So, you know, have our kids do whatever they want with machine guns. That's probably not a good idea. But but if we can't keep it to the family, at least keep it to like something reassembling Dunbar's numbers. <laughs> like yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Smaller, the smaller the community, the better. As long as people are allowed to leave it whenever they want. Correct. Um, Voluntary which, yeah, association. Cons consensualism. Yeah, I thought of a, a, a new word the other day, which are, uh, mm. the, the, the biggest problem in the world. Uh, one is that people think there's a free lunch. And the other yeah. thing is uh, anarchophobia. 
So yes, it's everywhere. Anarchy, anarchy has this oh, this terrible reputation, doesn't it? So the whole idea of, of anarchy, it's like ninety nine percent negative in the English language. Like, yeah, you know we. Do we describe things out of order, you know, like a, yeah. like a teenager's room as anarchy. But, but I was going to say, but it doesn't have to be. No, because we have rules without rulers now. We have a yes. system where there's no need for a ruler anymore. If yeah. we genuinely take the rule of law as a, as a, a, a let's say, a, a real construct, like we want to act in a society that has a rule of law, then the system can work perfectly. Because you're right, we don't need the rulers anymore. We have the rules. Everyone knows them. They're good rules. Why? Because they serve the people that are ruled by them. Yeah, they serve everyone who follows them. That's why yes. we choose to follow them, because it's all voluntary. We wouldn't choose to follow them if that wasn't the case. And, so in that sense, they're damn near perfect too. And and that's it. The upside of, I was going to say, like the upside of that kind of thing, though, is, and this is, I suppose, like in genuinely where I question things, is like, how far can the state be removed, you know, out of people's minds. It's something we grow up with. Our nationality, you know, having lived in three different countries in the world, you know, I, I personally have this, this, you know, firsthand experience. Where do I really come from? But, but most people, it's like, it's, it's like part of their, their organic identity. You know, your tribe is such a, an, an ingrained, almost biological part of you. Yeah, I know. Even to such extents that they give a shit about uh, uh, 11 people trying to push a ball into a, a, some sort of Netted fox. Hey, I will not. I will not besmirch the sports ball of football. That sports ball is sacred. Those damn Canadians put the puck in the net four times, and Finland only won the other night. And I'm very mad at Canada. I don't like Canada. Uh, oh, yeah. I, I thought I, when I moved here, I thought like well, this is perfect. Now I can vouch for two teams instead of just one. <laughs> no, no, no. I, 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 uh, I, I despise the Canadian team. Uh, no, no loyalty there whatsoever. Okay. Yeah. yeah great. Broken like a true deserter. A true yes. deserter. Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> there we go. Yes. Yes. That's yeah, actually yeah. true. I've never thought of it like that. I am definitely a, a Canada deserter. That's true. Yeah. Fascinating. Uh, could we make like a word beginning with Trudeau and ending with something deserted? True. Like, true. The Trudeau. True deserter. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. And and they would be accurate in my case, I think. Yeah, definitely. True, true dork. I do think it's fascinating. Look, I'm, I think I, I, although I, I love philosophy and I have a great, great love of it. Um, but I, I am at the same time quite a practical person. Um, and when I think of things that if a, if a philosophical angle doesn't really begin to, let's say, have influence on the world. I take a, you know, a kind of very, what's the word? Uh, I want to say rationalist, but it's, it's the wrong. Pragmatic. The ro pragmatic, that's the one. Um, viewpoint of it, where, you know, I think we have damn near perfect money, but how do we stuff it down the throats of the ungod, you know, the ungrateful and to get them to drink their medicine? What, what sugar do we need to, to invent? Is the incentive already out there in the world and it just begins to suck people in like a giant supernova? I think it is. I, I think it's just a question of time because if you don't take the orange pill now, you'll be forced to take the orange suppository later. That's, so you have a choice still. And the orange pills are here for a long, a long time ahead. Uh, the, they're they're pretty uncorruptible. In, yeah. They have a large, they have a large shelf life. Yes. But at some point they will be a suppository and you better have taken your pills <laughs> before that. 
Yeah, because it is fascinating to think because it, it it is a great reimagining of you know of the way we do economics, the way we interact with each other in humanity. Because to draw this back into mining, fundamentally, why would it be worth spending a a Netherlands worth of energy every day to have this thing called Bitcoin if it's not worth anything? Like someone is valuing flip, a Netherlands. Flip that. Flip that. Why would it be well, worth a Bitcoin amount of energy to have something like the Netherlands? That's a much better question. And for me, it's pretty obvious that one is better than the other. It's like one serves yeah, a yeah. more general purpose for the world than the other. The, one is just basically a swamp with a bunch of engineers on top and pretty oh. good beer and coffee shops and tulips. And the other one, <laughs> no, no offense to the Netherlands. I love the ne- Netherlands, maybe, but they're not as good as Bitcoin and neither is any other country for that matter. Today's show is brought to you by our sponsors. First up, Orange Pill app. Stack friends who stack sats, meet like-minded Bitcoiners near you and help speed up hyper-Bitcoinization with Orange Pill app. Bitcoin isn't an online-only phenomenon and Orange Pill app helps facilitate the social layer, connecting Bitcoiners in their local area. It maintains your privacy through the whole process, and since you have to pay to access the app, you know that everyone there cares about Bitcoin and is high signal. A great new feature is events. You can create events and meetups right from the Orange Pill app and help build your local community while maintaining the Bitcoin-only signal. Orange Pill app is available on iOS and Android. Download now. Next up, Wasabi Wallet, an open-source, non-custodial desktop wallet that is trustless, easy to use and affordable. It has CoinJoin built in to facilitate your privacy. Every Bitcoin transaction leaves a clear footprint, but with Wasabi, you can make sure that others can't track your steps and threaten your sovereignty. Just send your coins to Wasabi Wallet, wait, and your coins will be private on the other end. It's open source, trustless by design, and non-custodial. You have full control over your keys. Check it out now at wasabiwallet.io. I think this is it, where we... We could already judge in some ways the the economics of of what the world is doing by how valuable Bitcoin is. I mean, obviously, I, you know, I'm I'm the literal digital coalface, um, and I see the the vast vast amounts of capital going into Bitcoin mining now. It's it's taken very very seriously as an investment class. You know, when when I first started mining. I was a sweaty nerd with a gaming PC. And if you had tried to tell a bank that you were going to try and take a mortgage to, to, to buy this thing called a miner to do, do hashing so that a, a, a digital currency could exist, they would have, you know, laughed you out the door and down the street and, you know, into a barrel of LSD. It would just would have been like completely unfeasible. And now we have banks pouring money and we have. Um, you know, loans that can be had against mining machines. We have some of the largest hedge funds in the world looking at this as, as a segment that at least they need to kind of have some foot in the door. So I suppose what you, what you really see is that that, that Netherlands worth of energy or that Bitcoin's worth of Netherlands is actually a, it's a cherry, if you like. It's a baited trap for drawing in those capital systems for drawing in that investment structure into Bitcoin. Because fundamentally, you know, the rest of the, the economy really understands things like energy. It understands things like the grid. It understands things like electricity and generation. These are very old, very mature industries. 
but we add the Bitcoin element onto it as this this beautiful glistening, you know, cherry to say, hey, hey, c- come and we we kind of like hide the orange peel behind it and then pop it out. That's just at the last moment when you know when a pop bull market happened. Exactly <laughs> down the hatch because it's, because what you realize is sure you did your investment and you did your structuring on what we were doing. Let's say in in the bottom of a bear market like we were at today, and then all of a sudden you got hyper rewarded in the middle of a bull run, then all of a sudden you are sold. You, you cannot convince those people that this is not a real thing, that this is not a real industry. This has zero value or it's just a scam. It's, it becomes so much more than that. It, it becomes a way yeah. of doing business. What, once you've experienced Bitcoin, there's no, there's no un-orange feeling someone once it clicks. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good, sure say, the only people that have been un-orange pilled, I would no, say, the are... brown pilled mm. by shit coins. <laughs> no, all I would say is that, let's say, they succumbed to greed, they got green pilled. Yeah. Well, or brown pilled, because the yeah, greed is a shit coin in that sense, like... If you, if you put orange and, orange and green together, it does make brown. Yeah. That's a good quote. And on the political scale, if you mix green and red, you also get brown, right? Uh, about the Netherlands mm. again, and mm. nation states in general, when people don't get, like, the consensus algorithm of Bitcoin leads to Bitcoin sacrificing a Netherlands worth of energy per year. Sure. Encoding. The, yeah, encoding. The, the thing is, Everything else has a consensus ne- mechanism too. The Netherlands has a consensus mechanism. The euro has a consensus mechanism and the US dollar has a consensus mechanism. And that com- consensus mechanism is called a world war. And uh, only a world war and who has the bigger army in the end decides who gets to be the re- reserve currency and who gets to be the shitcoin on the next best currency or the next best thing. And even nation states themselves oh are formed during wars. So there's always yes. some violence and you end up with a system in which you get a corrupt form of money and a government that steals from everyone all the time. So that's what you end up with, with the, the far inferior consensus mechanism world wars. And some people seem to prefer that to the strictly voluntary, very efficient consensus mechanism that Bitcoin provides, which is entirely voluntary and doesn't end up in anyone stealing anything from anyone and doesn't have borders and doesn't get censored. So pick and choose. Well, that, I, look, I, I suppose, you know, going back to your original answer to me, it's, it's a matter of time, isn't it? War has been around for a very, very long time as a consensus mechanism. You know, the, the world that we have today is, is formed by wars. It's formed by marshalling great groups of people to function in the same way by coercion or by force or some small might you know small nation states by you know by voluntary consensus there's a few who do it better there's a spectrum but ultimately if you could show people a different consensus mechanism a better consensus mechanism a better way of organization you know it's it's just a competition in the end exactly and if you have the superior competitor you sooner or later you win all nation states are basically some of our ancestors being assholes to other of our ancestors. And that's where we live in whatever remnants of that, that remain. <laughs> that, that's all it is. <laughs> hey, look, having, having, uh, having changed countries, as, as I said, multiple times in my life, um, there, there are definitely assholes everywhere. I can, I can, can confirm that. Yes. And everyone has one. And, <laughs> but everyone, and like, 
I, I think this uh, Zoom call uh, or mm-hmm. video conference thing is such a great tool. It's gonna it's gonna add a lot of value to like peace in the world because it's much harder to tell eighteen year olds to go and kill people in other countries if they just were on a video call with that very person that they're about to be ordered to kill. Yes. I think people vastly underestimate the power of this, how it makes borders as ridiculous as they should be. Uh, they, 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 they make us see borders for what they are. Just hindrances it's, it's put in the way by some asshole. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, no, one of my, one of my favorite, favorite stories of all time was getting held up on the, the Oman UAE border uh-huh. by some, uh, AK 47 wielding security guard yeah. who thought he would, you know, have a fun time. And, and I got, got saved out of it by a plucky taxi driver who just saw me as a fare to the, to the latest visa shop. But I found <laughs> out, I found out later that I was probably in quite a lot of trouble if I stayed around oh. there too long. AT forty sevens are usually not a good sign. Exactly. Yeah, I learned that. Learned that pretty quickly. No, yeah, yeah. But but exactly. But it's just you know, it's literally, it's just a line in the desert. There's 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 yeah. sand on one side and sand on. There's nothing there at this at this checkpoint. No. Um. But because some eighteen year old doesn't like you, they can shove a gun in your face. Yeah. Push you around a bit. It's absolutely horrible. But I think this is uh, like we're nearing the end of that era. Like I mean. I recently sold a book in Miami to Carrie, who you met in, in Sydney in Australia. Yeah, yeah. And she didn't have the money then. I told her, just take it, Carrie, do whatever you want. And she she insisted on paying me and did it via the Lightning Network from Australia. It's just so fascinating to me that I can be in one continent, move back mm. to another, and the other person that was there with me moves back to her continent, which is literally on the other side of the globe and can instantly send the money because money is just information. And Bitcoin has pointed it out to us, which means it's that who, everything who important. Owns list. Yeah, exactly. Every, everything important is just information. Now, fascinating. One question I would love to obviously explore with you as well, because it's on the subject of mining, because it's typical, yep. it's, it's in there, is obviously the block congestion, let's call it that, the fees, the mempool getting blown up with all these shit coins. I hate the framing congestion though. Congestion okay. implies that there wouldn't be a next block, that the system would stop somehow. Correct. This is not a connect congestion, it's just the fees going up temporarily because some shit coiners uh, find it funny to spend other people's money for a while, but they will run out of other people's money, just like Margaret Thatcher said about taxes. You they run said, out of other people's money to take, yeah, yes. Yeah, 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 exactly. The quote is, the problem with socialism is that sooner or later you'll run out of other people's money. And the same yeah, goes right. for shit coiners. Like this, the problem with shit coining is that sooner or later you'll run out of other people's money. Having said that, I think we all know that the fees will go up in the future and we don't know what point and it will probably come in stages, just like the price or the uh, purchasing power. It will hop to new levels at certain points in time. And maybe we're stuck with this 50s to the 100 sats per byte range for quite some time now. And the next time it goes to even higher than that. We don't know. People might be interested in this other stuff than sats on the blockchain which doesn't make any sense to me, really, because I think the monetary use case will always be more valuable in the long run than whatever document you can put up there. Yeah, look, I mean, the, the, funny, the funny thing about it is, one question I get asked a lot is, so, so in 2148, Bitcoin mining will go away because we were, you know, all the last Bitcoin will be mined. 
it's it's not true it's it's not true no. at all it, and and I think I even I think I even heard heard like a rather famous Bitcoiner make make this mistake about you know Bitcoin mining disappearing. I think what we've maybe seen over the last month or so is actually a little glimpse into what would happen in a hyper Bitcoinized world in a genuinely large scale of transactions happening every day, where the mining reward you know so the fee unfortunately that you have to pay for a transaction. Is, is paying a miner. It's the, the cost of the, the miner adding your transaction to the block. It's the wages for the worker, if you call it that. So if, if the work that you're doing is, is more highly valued by the market, then you're paid more for it. The prize is space. But like what we saw with these fees going up like very, very high and let's say more of the, the block reward actually really impacting Bitcoin miners very positively in the bottom line is literally how Bitcoin mining will be funded even after the last Bitcoin yep. gets mined. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly how the security mechanism, how the incentive structure to keep Bitcoin secure stays in place. And the the whole idea that the more transactions happen, that the more those fees are going to be paid, they will need to be paid. Yeah, there's some one caveat here. Like there are other ways to pay miners to include transactions than to pay them in SATs. There are more roundabout yeah, ways to do it. You could give the miner something else than sats in order to include the transaction. And that might be a thing in the year 2140. I think it's almost necessarily has to be at least a part of the security of Bitcoin in order to not make it stumble upon itself too much. Let's do it just for our listeners. Mining it, 101 the, or Bitcoin 101. The block reward consists of two things. The block subsidy and the fees. And the block subsidy is 6.25 min Bitcoin at the, in this epoch that will be turned into 3.125. And the fees are whatever fees there are for transactions on top of that. And there's a market for fees because block space or time space, which I prefer to call it, is a scarce yeah. resource that will only be scarcer the more people use Bitcoin for transactions. Yeah, fantastic. No, that's, that's an absolute perfect perfect description of what it is. So obviously what we've what we've had is we've had an explosion of a particularly exotic, let's call it that, for Bitcoin land, a particularly exotic kind of transaction, which is these other tokens that are not Bitcoin on the Bitcoin network. So they've been filling up the block space, thus you know, driving the, the cost to have your transaction included um, up. Yeah, I think calling them tokens is giving them a bit too much legitimacy. <laughs> Well, yes. I mean, yeah, like some rather fluffy pieces of data that really are, are completely disconnected from anything real world and anything value, but are are a parasite on the back of Bitcoin. Maybe call it yeah, that. Like this is the thing. I think it was Hayek who laid out why the industrial or even Mises laid out why why the industrial use cases and the jewelry use cases for gold actually make it a, a worse form of money. I mean. Most of its price is because it is money. That's where it gets most of its purchasing yeah. power from. But the most slight, of it is locked away in vaults. Yeah. But some of it is because the demand from jewelers and people in, in the various industries who need gold for other purposes. And it's the same with Bitcoin. Using the network for other things than money makes it a slightly worse form of money. <laughs> but in the long run, these other use cases 
They're way more bullshitty than jewelry. You could claim that jewelry is bullshit too because no one really needs it, but there's still a demand for it. And there might be still be a demand for these bullshit tokens in the future. The thing is, as soon I, as I, you... No, I would, I, I would almost argue with you there. I would say there is 100% going to be a demand because the human being loves to gamble. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So let's say that I, I agree that we're 100% that there will be a demand for time space on, on the time chain is a very underpriced asset as it is. And it will yes. go up in price over time. That's inevitable. The thing is, what do we use it for? Well, these scammers, they claim that you can own a picture uh, by <laughs> attaching it to a certain Satoshis or a set of Satoshis. Which is not true because you cannot own a JPEG because you can just right click it and copy it. You can claim in court that you have, have this Satoshi that somehow makes you the legit owner of some document or picture or whatever on the time chain. But there, until there's at least a precedent in some court for that actually being proof of anything, there's nothing there. It's a great big nothing burger. Putting a document up for public viewing can be done cheaper and more effective outside of the time chain. You don't really need the time chain for that. And sure, it's sort of like wanting to have a tattoo on your body that doesn't go away until you die. Mm. People will want to put messages on the time chain. There is a limit to how much you can put in each transaction. I think it's 600 kilobytes or something like Ooh, that. You'll have to, yeah. I'll have to go away and check that. I thought it was lower than that. I thought it was... I'm not that technical, so I'm probably just uh, <laughs> mansplaining here and guessing. Please call me out on this and tell me the right numbers in the comments or whatever on this show. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but I think I get the gist of it. There, there are limits, and uh, through a soft fork, I think we can limit it even more if needed in, in the future. Wouldn't be 100% certain about that either. But regardless, I view this things that they call tokens as noise and not signal. And they serve one specific purpose. Some Bitcoiners turned shitcoiners, some big names that used to be big names in Bitcoins that are now shitcoiners. And what the, the purpose it serves uh, is that it creates FUD about Bitcoin, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. So that people mm. start doubting Bitcoin. And when they do... Because they can point to a very specific thing. Hey, look at this. Bitcoin is broken. I just broke Bitcoin or whatever because it's now $2 instead of 20 cents to send a transaction. It's giving them a narrative that they can use in order to sell their other fucking shit coins. And that's all they want. That's the scam. They want to spend a large amount of other people's money to clog the Bitcoin blocks. They are not really clogging anything because TikTok next block is still, still valid. But they, yeah. they put stuff there in order to be able to point at, the, at Bitcoin and say, this doesn't work as money. Come buy my shitcoin. That's the only purpose of these things. I, look, I, I, I feel like you're giving them too much credit. That's, that's too... <laughs> I probably uh, am. You, yeah. Look, so I think, unfortunately, one thing about Bitcoin is that they tend to be, let's say, slightly more intelligent than the average. So... Sometimes you're attributing to malice what could be attributed to stupidity, and oh yes, I, <laughs> and so and so I partially think that it's plain and simple. It's you know greed or stupidity, either of the two. But that said, let's say maybe it's because I'm I don't know I want, don't want to call myself open minded or anything like that. I'm I'll, maybe I'm slightly more optimistic 
about the use case for things such as ordinals or let's call them Bitcoin NFTs to use a more open phrase. Yuck. Partly, yeah, <laughs> partly because I can see a value of locking piece of information up. You know, we've had safety, safe deposit boxes at banks for a very, very long period of time. And so I'm definitely, definitely not interested in JPEGs. I'm definitely not interested in pictures. But I do believe there are some kinds of data that I personally would want to have that on Bitcoin. Um, like what? And I, property. I would particularly want to have that. The counter argument to that, to like a yeah. will on the blockchain or property title deeds on the blockchain. Why not just keep the, the 12 words instead? That's your property. It's going to go up in value faster than your will or your title deed. So why not just keep it in Bitcoin? Well, look, I, and, and I also know the arguments that it's like, well, look, in, until, until my, let's say, my specific unique set of sats also is legally stamped by someone who will exactly. confirm my ownership of the land, it still has an external recourse to the state, per se. It's not, it's not truly decentralized in that capacity. But I would say if we are aiming at something like Bitcoin hyper-Bitcoinization, hyper where Bitcoin is respected, where Bitcoin is the law, then in, in that situation, there we may want to have things of particularly high value, such as a large, large patch of land. And I can, I, I can see your argument, but it's, it's purely, I suppose, an economic argument where I would value my Bitcoin more than my land, therefore hold the sats rather than my land on the chain. The other side is why, why not do both? Do you think it's purely because it interrupts the monetary flow or? Yes, as I said, it, it makes Bitcoin a slightly worse form of money. The moneyness of Bitcoin goes down because money shouldn't have been a noun in the first place. It should have been an adjective. A lot of problems stem from that people think that money is this specific thing, which it yeah, really no, isn't. Like uh, all objects have moneyness to them. It's just that some objects are better as money and have a higher yes. functionality than other. And about the abbreviation NFT. It's non-fungible token, right? That's what the abbreviation stands for. So it's, it's not money by definition. The thing <laughs> is, fungibility is often called one of, or uniformity, which is a better word, is one of those six characteristics of money. I would say that there are seven yeah, because we have absolute scarcity. But the thing is, fungibility is subjective. It's in the eye of the beholder. What constitutes homogenic good is always in the eye of the beholder. That's why I choose mm. but apples and oranges on the cover of uh, the Praxeology book. I could, I could see it in your background. Yeah, so people, some people prefer fruit to meat mm. and uh, to them, fruit is the homogeneic good. But to people mm. who prefer apples to oranges, apples is the... And the same goes for money. Fungibility is in the eye of the beholder. So saying that something is non-fungible or fungible, it's, it, to me, the whole terminology, it reeks of scamminess from beginning to end. And this is, this is where I, s I suppose, yeah, you've got, you've got the signal and the noise. The, the unfortunate thing is that NFTs, let's say, came on the, on the Ethereum network first and were immediately associated with um, some kind of ape. And therefore that kind of becomes some key to some secret club in Miami or something like that. I, I think that, I think that's unfortunate because let's say I, I think about this more optimistically and more creatively. What could I do with a genuine piece of incorruptible data? Um, I think money is the, money is the good starting spot. M money is definitely the starting spot because you want that to be as uncorruptible as possible. But I think there are other things. That, no. <laughs> I love this I, I, argument. 
by no, the way. No, no, no. I, I love it because mm. the thing is, mm. the only thing that makes it incorruptible is that you run your node and agree to the rules. So that's the only thing proving the validity of the entire protocol to you. Even that is entirely subjective in Bitcoin. You decide mm. what Bitcoin is to you. So even if there is a judge that says that this JPEG belongs to you, other nodes in the network may not. They may fork away from mm. your shitty JPEG and your monkey or monkey picture or whatever, whatever it is, or your will or your title deed to this huge tracts of land you know i'd also i'd also contend that uh, and I, s- I suppose from a technical perspective because of the way these things would work that would be that would be breaking the rules of bitcoin itself and you you would um you would literally be deciding that some some users of bitcoin satoshis aren't aren't valid which well, i suppose is, is what Mike right Bitcoin has done and you know no, but that is the case right now people it's mm. voluntary and people choose to use whatever software they use that's correct and the people who agree that like the most proof of work is is what bitcoin is mm-hmm. they are on one chain and some other idiots are on some other chain but the thing is it's not up to you and me we'll have to see yes. how it plays out because this is first and foremost a force of nature at this point that we are here yeah. to observe and not something we can do anything about. But my prediction is that all these other u- use cases will be dwarfed by the superiority of the SAT itself, because that which, is so much better than, than anything else you can put on it. Which I suppose it, it comes around to the, the, you know, the point where it's like, maybe I could see, let's say, the value of land or say some very, very high value contract or something like that on a blockchain. But the fact of the matter is, as I don't actually own land, but I do own sats um, because I value them more highly than a house at the moment. <laughs> yeah, but that's the thing. And in the future, that will be even more blatantly obvious that they are worth yes. more. And that's why I think that it, it drives us closer and closer to this philosophical insight that that which you can do without your own, that material stuff is not worth that much because it's much easier to confiscate than stuff that you can carry around in your head. So yeah. you will own nothing and be happy. In the end, this is what Bitcoin led to, and I think it's such a beautiful irony because we like, did it. We did it without we did uh, it the, without ourselves. the WES. Yeah. Yes, yeah, and, we, and without anyone taking advantage of us. And if we're truly true to ourselves, we're just fucking monkeys, you know, with, that love eating, drinking, and mating. <laughs> for lack of a, another word at this point of the conversation. Yeah, 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 but, yeah. Uh, so, so we like playing around, fooling around and doing stupid shit, but we don't really need all this material bullshit. Like, yeah. what, what, what if even land ownership goes away at some point on a Bitcoin standard because it makes no sense post-hyper-Bitcoinization? It may make sense to have a vineyard with a, a, or a large plantation of anything. Like, of course, that will still exist. We will still have agriculture. But the ownership models surrounding those may be completely different. Just look at how Bitcoin companies do business with one another, where everyone takes part of each other's profits and there are all of these synergies with one another and we all gain from helping one another. Who knows what, what, what the world looks like post-hyper-Bitcoinization? Uh, who knows if there's any use case for any legal document when we have rules without the rulers? I mean... This is so vastly different from what we're living in now. And this is what I think people underestimate for this thing. They think just because we found this damn near perfect money, people think that, oh, if we could use this for something else, that could also be valuable. But 
what could be more valuable than, than damn near perfect money? Nothing. If you really think about it, everything that can be exchanged for it will be obviously be valued less because yeah, this no, is it's, a scarce thing. Yeah, it's a fascinating argument because then it's the, the the thing in itself becomes becomes more value than you've you've locked up energy, you've held on to it, and its value has risen to like like you say, you know, twenty one million divided by everything. Or everything Other divided by around. twenty one. Everything <laughs> divided by twenty one million. I was just about to say that. Thank you for <laughs> saying um, it first. And and so you know because you have that rise that the thing itself, like let's say there could not be something more valued. Then of course you you have to leave economics at that point and start getting into morality and philosophy immediately because it's like well what is really valued? Why would you value? You know, is your sats worth more than your family? Um, well, obviously not. <laughs> I think this is true for almost any. Everyone in the world, including yeah. most sociopaths, <laughs> like no, other people, true. may be worth less than their money, but not their in not their closest family. I think that's extremely no. rare and almost only exists on film. They kind of let's call it fetishized by film, aren't they? Said it. Uh, yeah, yeah. But we'll we'll see. I mean, this is a true test to humanity. What what, what will it lead to? Like I, I personally find it very fascinating to think about these things and to try to draw out the thought vectors as far as I can to see wh where I end up. And it's hard to me to find a place in the future where I've drawn out the thought vector where Bitcoin leads us to more materialism. It, uh, it just doesn't compute. We will, it will lead to a less materialistic world. And that well, is... Well, yeah. 100% agree with you. 100% agree with you there. Because why do we have so much materialism? Because our money is not worth anything. Why? It's going to be worth, yeah. guaranteed, worth less today than it is tomorrow. Then, so yeah. you better spend it yeah. to, to, to get it. I love a bit of a history History nerd, had a history teacher for a mother. So that during, during the hyperinflation in the Weimar Republic, um, people would just go immediately. They would get paid their wage today. Yeah. They would demand their wage today so they could spend it that night. And then the wage would go up tomorrow because yeah. it would be worthless tomorrow. Yeah. That's playing on fast forward what's been happening since the 70s when we got, came off the gold standard. Well, not even that. I mean, Counterfeiting maybe. has been going on for since forever. And even mm. gold wasn't perfect. Like if you put more energy into finding gold, you'll find more gold than the stock to flow ratio changes. That doesn't happen yep. in Bitcoin. So we never had anything like this before. So it's that's why the metaphors are all wrong. So the way I see it, what Bitcoin points to is one divided by clown world, like one divided what we're living in now. And what does that look like? It points to like not the literal opposite. So it's not minus this world. It's one divided by it because we have this perfect sense. Everything divided by 21 million. That's what that means. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. You, know, you see what I mean? We have a fixed number now to organize to ourselves around. Yes. And it's not it's not everything divided by 21 million and a bunch of monkey pictures. That doesn't make any sense. It doesn't really change the equation very much. So the point being, whatever this wherever this leads, it will lead to a a world where, you know, signaling to other people that you're important by buying stuff just doesn't work anymore. It's you can already see it in the Bitcoin space today. People come to fancy dinners dressed as whatever. Like th th there's no there's no signaling there's no mechanism. Like no, <laughs> if if someone comes in a suit and a tie, they're just looked on 
like what what the hell is that guy doing? Why isn't he being himself? Like it's 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 already playing out like that. I, I, I love love a good suit and tie. I guess. Yeah, <laughs> me too. In the right circumstances, it's but it so tends, true. It tends to have a different functionality in the big universe. Exactly. Yeah. And if you had money that you would knew for a fact is going to be worth more in the future, you would be far more circumspect about about selling. I mean, I always exactly. use this advantage. Of, of clothing, like clothing has become the most throwaway thing in today's owners. It's a huge problem. No. It's caused 100% by broken fiat incentives. Absolutely. Where it's, if I'm going to buy a shirt and I have to swap Satoshis for it that were really expensive and cost me many, many watt hours, you know, running on my treadmill or connecting to my solar farm to produce, yeah, I have I, to be sure that that shirt is fantastic quality and it's going to last me, it's going to provide me more utility than the Satoshis. Why do I see an army of kangaroos on pogo sticks with generators on them? Because we can harness all energy. <laughs> Even nature itself. Yeah. But anyway, like if, if you have if you have this perfectly finite thing, like we said before, in the world we live in now, and especially in hyperinflating scenarios, then everything, all the stuff is better than all the money. Because the, the money has a faster half-life. Like, yes. <laughs> it's so you've just got to a get, case. So, so, so the faster go, it leaves you, the yeah. more stuff you accumulate. Yeah, yeah so it the, decays at a way, way, way quicker rate. But if you have the literal opposite of that, something that is entirely fixed and anyone can tap into who has access to any type of communication around the world. Like, you literally need up to four megabytes of data every 10 minutes, which is the lowest internet connection. Like, you do not need much. <laughs> no, you do not need much. And this is so beautiful. So it's easy for everyone on Earth to tap into and be mm. a part of the, those rules that are centered around that number, which makes all the other shit in the world, all the shit coins, all the stuff, all the other material things, worse as an investment in the long run than this very fixed number. Yes. And where does that lead us? It's an insanely fascinating to think about and to talk about because no one ever experienced that before. There's, there are no metaphors. There's nothing like it. There never was. And look, potentially the whole technologization, to invent a word off the cuff in, in English, um, of, of the whole, let's say, world in the last 40 years we really are running an experiment that you know we have have never seen before but the problem is we built it on incentive structures that are as old as time and that haven't changed since the romans and the babylonians now it's like we've actually added a different incentive structure into this mix we have this this hyper powerful technology i'm frame i can't remember who who i'm quoting someone i know and someone can correct me who said it but it was you know we have we have the technology of gods but the uh, the moral attributes of a four year old or something something along those lines we we have something we, you know we we have something in our hands in terms of our technology that would have been akin to magic only a hundred years ago and yet we only now are putting in place the incentive structures to begin to change the way we the way we act with them any any technology sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Absolutely. Yes. And I mean, it's uh, why social media is so addictive and, you know, why more of the world is fascinated by games than movies, magazines and publishing all put together. Um, I mean, it's a huge industry because, yes, it, it, your, your eyes and your, your meat stuff is assuming that it's almost real. 
um, you're behaving and reacting as if it's almost real. Yeah, and like, as I said before, like Bitcoin enables us to actually make it real and to manifest yeah. whatever ideas we get on the internet into the world. Like li- living the meme, I call it living the meme, and that's that's what's going uh, that's what's going on. At least that's what I feel like. I feel like I'm living the meme, literally. By sitting here <laughs> having these conversations, this is literally my dream life. Just less than five years back, and uh, it's it's right here, and it's it's so so wild. The the ride is so wild and so so weird, and I I can't wait to see what the next ten years are going to be about. Yeah, yeah. The funny thing is, every every four years, and uh, you know, I, I'm in my my second my second complete cycle. Let's call it that um, of Bitcoin. And, you know, every four years you get that thing called a bull market, which is usually brought about by the halving because suddenly there's less supply of the thing that's really valuable that you want to keep and that you don't want to move. And then, you know, it's always followed by a collapse because like you say, the FUD comes in, you know, people give up, get distracted, you know, but it's every time that happens, it collects more people and more people and more people and locks more and more people in to, to the system. And it is fascinating then to see how that plays out over time. I feel like a far better way to judge Bitcoin's court for, on an investment perspective. Uh, I always say to people, don't judge it by the bull market highs. Everyone everyone gets rich. No. Look at where look at how valuable it was after the after the party faded, after the yeah. hype went away. That's yeah, yeah. Thing. And if you look at those, the growth in those lows is far more extreme yeah. and far more pronounced. We, we've been sitting comfortably in five figures now for more than two years. That when I first got into Bitcoin, like that was a like, what the heck, you know, yeah. could it ever be worth ten thousand dollars? And and that just shows you that it's in these quiet moments that things are building behind the scenes. It's making the arguments. It's making the convincing. There's larger larger mining deals getting done now than we're getting done, you know, in 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 the bull market. It's what really happens underneath when no one's looking at it. You get to live this meme. This is, it's literally, hang on, you got in, you wound in, you've stayed in, and then you're just getting, you're getting pulled along by the, yeah. by the number of people who are, are understanding it, really comprehending what's going on in the space. Yeah. The patience gets rewarded. And the, the way I see the Bitcoin markets is like, imagine once again the Tower of Babel, if you have a stairway to heaven, and the first four years of walking distance up the first bit of the stair is 50 people wide stair. And then yep. it's a 25 people wide stair. And then it's a 12 and a half people wide staircase up to heaven. So you have this flock of people all trying to walk up the stairs. In the beginning, there's just a few people. And all of a sudden, there's an, some daring individual runs up the stairs to maybe where it's we're supposed to be at 6.25 and he looks down and he gets a bit of fear of height like via fear of height vertigo, yeah, vertigo yeah. right so, so he, he runs down again and <laughs> by, by that time the people down there they have they have seen that guy up there and they've flocked and the, they're the lowest part of the stair does not uh, doesn't allow you to go back down no, anymore it, it doesn't fit full. all the people anymore because it's full and the higher up the ladder we go, the narrower the ladder gets, and so the faster it pushes the price upwards. That's how I view what this market is. And I think most people think it's going to level out like this now, when we saw the fastest one, and you see this curve that levels out, and we reach the top of the S-shape. No, 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 no. This is just I'm... about to take off. 
We haven't seen anything yet. It, that's exactly it. It's, it's like the smaller amount of, you know, let's say the smaller and smaller amount of Bitcoin that's available to be purchased. The, the more and more people understand hodling, the more and more people actually become orange-billed. It, it means that there's, there's less to go around. And yeah. guess what? You're sitting on it actively is, an, is, is a market action. It's a, it's a statement of, I value this more than your you know, silly options trading day. Yeah, yeah of course. Um, and more than 90% have already been mined. The crazy thing is, is like, you know, to, to get the first 50%, you might have had to have spent a million dollars on capital and, and energy to get the first 50%. To get the next 40%, maybe a billion dollars got yeah. you there. <laughs> and now what we're going to spend possibly a trillion dollars getting the, la the next 5%. And then after that, we're going to spend, well, everything. The show is also sponsored by BitcoinBook.shop, the Bitcoin-only bookstore by Consensus Network. Consensus specializes in translations of Bitcoin books and also publishes original titles in English and many other languages. Check out BitcoinBook.shop for all your Bitcoin book needs. Consensus is always looking for new contributors, whether you have a book you want to publish, you want to help translate books into your native language, or you have some other way you want to get involved. So if you want to help spread the Bitcoin message, reach out to Consensus Network by Twitter or email. Details are in the show notes. You know, Daniel, yeah. this has been an absolutely fascinating conversation, and I'd love to have you on as, as a guest again at some point. I think we should do this as a regular and just do deep dives because I enjoy talking to you so much. Oh, and, honestly, it's an absolute joy. Yeah. I love it. And Luke, you didn't get the chance to say very much in this episode. I'm sorry for that. But thank you so much for coming on, Daniel. Absolutely loved it. And as I said, we'd love to have you on again. Thank you so much. No, I'll, I'll definitely hold you to it. And next time you find yourself on the sunny side of the world, um, I'll, I'll make sure that we have, we have a steak or some vegan form of it that uh, if you happen to swing vegan that way. Vegan form of it? <laughs> what are you, crazy? Cows are vegans. <laughs> Cows are vegans. Yeah, cows are vegans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Herbivores precede That's, the, that's yeah. the thing to say. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> so yeah. I, I have nothing to add here. This was fantastic. Daniel, I, I echo Knut's words. This was great. You're welcome on any time. Let's definitely do this regularly. And I, I think the only thing, uh, do you want to direct our listeners anywhere to get in touch with you? Yeah, sure. So you can reach out through our business Twitter, which is just pretty simple, at hashx underscore mining. Um, or me, I'm uh, zero Dan D A double N uh, boy um, on the Bird app. Give me a follow. As I say, I'm not super active on Twitter. My my personal stuff is a is a is a wide range of mix of mix of stuff I just find funny, interesting, or controversial. Um, we're obviously through through hashex. You'll get more information on mining and you know let's say, call it sensible adult things. <laughs> Excellent. So thank you very much, Dan, and uh, see you next time. Thank you so much. Catch you soon. This has been the Freedom Footprint Show. Thanks for listening.